everyone. Welcome to the Copy Blogger Podcast. My name is Tim Stoddard. As always, I am with my co-host, Ethan Brooks. Ethan, what's up, man? Great shirt. Your hair is looking fantastic today. I mean, you're killing it. <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate you saying that. You're welcome. All right, we're going to jump right into this one. Uh, you and I have been shooting ideas back and forth about this week's episode. We saved the uh, we saved the meat and potatoes for for recording so that we can really go through a lot of our thought process live and sort of uh, go back and forth for the first time with each other. So this episode is about how you and I plan to hit our traffic goals for our individual websites. Obviously, I am working on Copyblogger. Um, the, the, the news is out. You have uh, a, a goal, a, a certain goal to hit a, a certain uh, traffic number for Hampton. And, and I'm going to let you talk about all that. So, uh, so, so that's what we're doing. We're going to give a, a behind the scenes look this week about how you and I specifically plan to hit our traffic goals. So, um, you know, man, well, why, why don't you start off by saying what your goals are for Hampton and, and some of the ideas that you have, and then I can take it from there. Definitely. Yeah, I'm excited to have this conversation. So, uh, like you said, the news is out. I'm currently over at Hampton helping build their newsletter and media arm. We've got a blog there, and we basically set this informal goal. And uh, I said it publicly last week. The goal is to hit a million visits to the website by the end of the year. And actually what the real goal is, is a million per month, um, which is ambitious, I think. I, but I have no idea. I've never really been involved in a media company at this early of a stage. So I, I would, I'm keen to hear your thoughts on it. But yeah, in a team meeting a couple of weeks ago, um, we were talking with Sam and kind of breaking down some of the numbers. And he said, you know, I think if we try really hard and get a little bit lucky, we can get up to a million visitors per month by the end of the year. And so that is the official, unofficial, ambitious goal for the blog. Now I'll get into where we are so far, because for people who don't maybe don't know what Hampton is, or maybe haven't heard the last couple of episodes, it's brand new. The website yeah. is brand new. So getting there is going to be definitely an interesting push. We have a few advantages, which we'll get into. Um, but we're a lot earlier than something like Copy Blogger. And so I was looking forward to this chat because I want to hear everything about where you guys are and what you see when you look at where we are and like how you would approach it too. So we're aiming for a million a month, million a month by the end of the year. What about you guys? It is a lot higher than what I am aiming for. But I think there's a really important distinction, which will be a kind of a, a cool juxtaposition between the two philosophies of online business and what the goals are. My goal is 3 million hits a year. However, I don't consider Copyblogger a media company as much as I can. Well, it's a media company by definition. I suppose this is really just semantics. But my goal for Copyblogger is not to put out content and have as many people share it possible. That doesn't actually do anything for me. There, there's no, there's no value in viral content other than the cool dopamine hit that I get, and the, well, the 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 brand awareness. I mean, that is such a thing. If if I'm gonna create content, if I get a million hits a month, obviously the brand awareness is killing it. But that's that's more like the BuzzFeed model, mm -hmm. and that doesn't do anything for me. So my goal is very very surgical, 
I have an entire list of um, search queries that I'm going for. I, I also have a list of search queries that I'm taking away from Copy Blogger. There's, there's traffic that I get right now that I don't want. The value of the pages that gets me useless traffic can be used in other ways because those pages themselves and the URLs in particular still have some significance to me. But I, I need to be able to trim the hedges in like a metaphorical kind of way. I need to neaten the whole thing up and I need to, to make it look a lot prettier so that I'm, I'm targeting the specific audience that I want as opposed to just everybody. So a million hits a month is, is certainly ambitious, especially considering you guys are brand new. You can do it if you have a budget. Um, I've never spent a dollar on advertising in my entire life and I, I don't plan on it. So I think I, I'm excited to hear what like the different approaches are going to be. Definitely. Uh, I want to get into the strategies but before we do, you just reminded me of something and then I forgot it. Hmm. Maybe it'll come back. Uh, related to the million hits a month, let me let me touch on this for a second because it is ambitious. And like I said, I, I've been so excited to get involved in this project because pretty much all of my involvement in a media company so far has been in an established media company. Ah, and I just re I just remembered what you reminded me of. So yes. before we get into the specific goals and the strategies that we're using to approach these things, I want to highlight something that you just called out, which is model. So I really like that you took a second to say that like there, there are different ways to approach traffic goals and more is not always better. What really helps yeah. determine it is like what you're planning to do with that traffic. And for us at Hampton, what's really interesting is that the core business is a, is a member, it's a membership site. It's basically a peer group for, for founders who have built uh million dollar plus companies. So it's a peer group and it's a it's a relatively narrow potential pool of candidates, right? Like it's not just yeah. anybody can join this, even if they have the money to join. Um, they have to have crossed a certain level of like a certain threshold in order to get in. So that core business has a lot of potential and it and it will be big if it works. Um, but it, it's it reaches a limited pool of people. And I think what's interesting about your note on models is that for us, here's what I should say. If a million people come to that site and even 0.1% of them try to sign up for the group, I don't think we can handle that much demand. So the goal of getting a million people to the site is not actually about growing the core um, community offering, even though it's part of it, right? We want to continually be getting that flow of applicants going. But the reality is at that scale, we're probably going to have to start thinking about something uh, different to do with that traffic. So in our case, and this is just hypothetical, we haven't committed to any of this yet, but if you do have a media company that's getting a million hits a month, you can then start taking it more seriously as a media, as a, as like a standalone media business model, sure. as opposed to just the membership. And so I was really glad that you called out that whole note about model, because it really does dictate where you set your traffic goals. For us, I think if we were able to achieve this thing with a million hits per month, we would probably, possibly, probably start looking at Hampton as like core product is community and then 
potentially some kind of media monetization, which would benefit and could scale a lot more quickly than something like a um, a group, which can only grow so fast, right? And what I mean by that is like you could literally break the group dynamics by growing too fast. So we are we're keeping that at a very controlled growth rate, um, which opens up questions about like what, what do you do with the rest of the traffic? So I'm glad you called that out. Uh, now, with that being in mind, okay, so it's a million a month for us, three million for the year for you. You said something really interesting about new search terms that you're adding, some that you're pruning. I'm really curious to hear about that. Do you want to go first in terms of your strategies, or do you want me to go first and kind of lay out how we're thinking about it? Which way do you want to tackle this? I'll go first. It's very top of mind for me. Um, so, okay, I, I got to tee this up a little bit. A lot of people listening to this are probably thinking, you've you've owned Copyblogger for almost three years now. Like, how are you just getting to the point where SEOing the website is going to be your biggest priority. And I was talking about this a little bit at the gym this morning with, with my wife when, when we go to work out. And the idea is that it takes like two to three years to really get good at anything. And so the first two years has been establishing the business model of Copyblogger. Remember, there was no products. There was no revenue attached to Copyblogger when I acquired it. It was just traffic. It was just a blog. And so I had to create the Copyblogger Academy that had a huge learning curve. I had to book the deals for digital commerce and, and get our agency off the ground. That didn't have quite the learning curve, but it's still, I mean, these deals, they take a long time to close, you know? And so there's just a process. And so now that that process is really well established, I, I feel I feel like I'm a, like a lion about to let out of a cage, you know? I'm just so ready to get after this and, and do the growth stuff that I love. And because of that, my vision is, is I'm, I'm really, really focused on this now. Okay. So I have my plan. I've done all my research. Here's the nuts and bolts of it all. Any website that has a couple thousand pages, I know that's like a random number, but let's just say a thousand pages or more, the probably more than half of the pages on the, that website are going to generate no traffic. And this is true for anyone. It, the, well, with the exception to really, really high level SEO companies, you know, like a HubSpot, maybe that they got pro probably one of the best SEO teams in the world. So I think there's not a single page on that website that gets zero traffic that they don't at least have a plan for, or don't at least have it there for a reason, whether that's like some interior links or something. Um, with Copyblogger, it's about 1300 pages I have right now that get zero traffic. What makes it complicated is that the domain for Copyblogger is so old that there's still a couple dozen RSS feeds hooked up to it. So every time I post a new piece of content, the new blog gets spanned out through all of these old school RSS feeds that like create backlinks on dozens and dozens of websites. And so even these old pages that have zero traffic, the, the one I just did today, I actually made a YouTube video about it today I'm, I'm starting an SEO series on my YouTube channel that I'm, I'm putting out on my newsletter. And the example that I gave today, the one article that I just deleted and redirected to another page had 83 backlinks just to that one page. And so there's, you know, there's almost a couple, there's more than a thousand of these pages that I got to figure out how to do. Um, regardless, once I get rid of the stuff I don't need, it's going to allow me to take that authority that those pages are, are kind of gobbling up and not doing anything with. 
and passing them to more relevant search queries. So for instance, I ranked number 10, well, actually as of this morning, it was number seven for the phrase content marketing. If I get to number one for that one phrase, like that'll change my life. You know, that'll change the trajectory of the whole business. I rank number seven for landing pages. Um, I rank Damn, it was like number serious? 11 for email marketing. But one of the things I love about SEO is it's, it really is kind of like a winner take most business. If you're on the second page for a keyword such as email marketing, like you're going to get traffic for it, but it's not, it's not quite winner takes all. It's winner takes most. And so I got to get those cornerstone pages. There's about a group of 10 of them into the top three. And then after that, I'm going to scale down to the long tail pages. I'm going to introduce other subject matter. You know, there's not much about podcasting on Copyblogger. So I, I plan on going after that. There's a certain competitor I have who I, I basically spied all of his shit and I'm going to take all of his keywords. Same thing with email marketing. And, I, and I'm thinking about doing YouTube. The problem with that is most YouTube content is actually on YouTube. People don't read as much about YouTube that they do watching videos about YouTube. So I don't know about that one. Um, but okay, so to summarize, I just gave everybody like a pretty high level SEO lesson right there. There's about a thousand pages that don't get any traffic, but still have backlink value that I have to delete and redirect them. I need to figure out how to redirect all of this authority to these 10 cornerstone pages, content marketing, landing pages, email marketing, copywriting. And then once I have those, I'm going to start uh, transitioning that to more of the long tail search queries in the blog and jack up the traffic that way. That's my plan. Can I ask a rookie question about SEO and how you plan sure. to do this? Okay. Sure. So it sounds like with this thousand plus pages, you, you mentioned deleting and redirecting. And so for people who aren't as familiar, that's like a URL redirect, right? So, yeah. so, okay. So how does that work? If you actually delete the page, will it stop rank? It would stop ranking, wouldn't it? Or, or do you leave the page? How does that work? What yes. is actually ranking at that point? Um, not the page, the page goes bye-bye and you basically have three options. You can delete the page and then it's just deleted. And that gives you a 403 error. Yep. You can delete the page and you can make it a 410, which isn't as good. It basically tells Google this page doesn't exist anymore, but we did it on purpose, you know? So it doesn't necessarily give the search engines or the, the person a different option. It, it basically just says like, there's nothing here. You know, it's like coming to a dead end on a road, but a 310 redirect, or excuse me, a 301 redirect, it makes it so that page doesn't exist and you're being sent to a different page. The idea being that if I delete a page, I still try my best to redirect it to a page that has like similar subject matter because it's not the rankings that you have to worry about. If I delete a page, that page isn't going to rank anymore. The problem is that page has 83 backlinks. And so somewhere on the internet, there's a link that goes to the page that I just deleted. And so when someone clicks on that link, I want to send them to like a semi-relevant page. So they're not totally caught off guard. You know, it's difficult because it's, it doesn't always align perfectly, but you want to do the best you can to keep the user experience like as, as on path as possible so that's how that got works. it 
Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. So that's not like there's some phantom page out there that's still showing up on Google and then linking through to, uh, got it. Okay. So that oh, brings that's, me. That's illegal now. That's called cloaking. We used to be able to do that back in the day when SEO was easy <laughs> and you could just do like a bunch of like black hat stuff and make a ton of money, but you just can't get away with it anymore. That brings me to the second question related to this process, which is just to make sure I understand this. You have this thousand pages, but you've also got these 10 cornerstone pages. And so the high level plan is you look at the thousand pages and decide, say, which of the 10 each one is most similar to or like most appropriate to redirect to. That's the, that's the idea. And like ideally, most of them fall into one of those 10 buckets. Ideally, yeah. So most likely the pages that I direct will probably get redirected to another blog article just because, you know, there's, there's such a variety of subject matter on the blog that it's going to be easier for me to find something that is a little bit more related. Um, but that doesn't mean there aren't still ways to take that old authority and post it to those cornerstone pages. So, so this is a little bit more complicated. This is interior links where, um, you put links in the articles that you're keeping that link to your cornerstone pages. I don't technically need to do that because my cornerstone pages are on the navigation bar of my website. So like technically all of these pages are linked onto every single page of the website because the links on the navigation bar are site-wide, right? So through that way, I've already kind of told Google that these are the most important pages. With that being said, you still want to interior link properly. Just think about Wikipedia. You know, like Wikipedia is the most perfect website ever built because you go on there because you want to know some random fact. And then, you know, two and a half hours later, you're on some page about like King Louis and some random thing that like you weren't even looking for, right? That's that's what interior links do. They they keep the user experience well or, or they, they keep the user experience um um natural, I should say. And then through that, you're also sending signals to Google saying like so many of the links in my website point to this interior page. So like this interior page must be the cornerstone of the website. Like this is one of the foundational elements of my website. And God, again, that's how that works. I want to dig into that in a second too. And I'm this, I'm kind of flipping this into like a, Ethan's coaching session where you're just teaching me what we need to pay attention to as we grow. Uh, because well, you're up next, man. Yeah. You're well, up next. What, no, what I mean is, is <laughs> I'm going to keep interviewing you because we're, we're like, we're like thinking about all this stuff, but we're, we're not quite there. Um, and so the concept of cornerstone pages and targeting, like what our main keywords are going to be. A lot of that is foreign to me. Um, I will say, and I want to get into like how you actually think about it. I'll say very briefly how we're thinking about some of the growth so far. So I mentioned up front, obviously, goal is pretty ambitious. It's a million hits a month. We have some tools at our disposal that a lot of startup just don't have. So our co-founder, Sam, has a pretty big audience through his social media and the podcast. So far, that's been able to like pretty reliably drive five to 10,000 uh, page views if he if he'll if he'll share something on his social media um so that's a big sledgehammer right out of the gate right now our goal is essentially to build 
the company's social media up so that it's at least at least that powerful, ideally more powerful because you know, he's an important part of the company, but we don't really want it to revolve all around his social presence. Yeah. So we're working on that. Um, what other things do we have at our disposal? I'd say the other major thing, aside from like the brands that he's built uh, and his co-founder, Joe, also has a pretty big uh, footprint on social media. The other major thing I think at our disposal is like half the team comes from the media world. So yeah. we're actually, I was just talking to my boss about this today. It's Jordan, the guy who grew, he, uh, he was like head of growth at Motley Fool for a couple of years, helped them reach, I think, 500 million in annual revenue, something crazy like that. And we were talking about how fun it is to be working with like a small site, small list again, because it's just so different. But that's a huge advantage to have a bunch of people on the team who are used to building big media companies. We're not really building a media company right now, but so many of the lenses that we think through are that like storytelling first, media first, all the things that make for great content. And I think it's going to give us an advantage in the long run. And maybe I'll pause just to give like one quick example for people, because this was actually, this was really unexpected. So um, it's, I think, pretty fair to say most people ignore corporate social media accounts. And for us, even when we were kind of brainstorming, like, what is what is the growth strategy going to be here? Opinions were pretty divided on whether social was even worth doing from like a corporate Hampton account, because people just don't really latch on to that. There's no there's no person there. Uh, but I I decided to go ahead and start testing it anyways. And the first one has worked out pretty well so far. I think we got lucky. We got like a lucky hit on the first one. I don't I saw maybe you were hovered over this in the sheet. So I'm not sure if you clicked through and saw it, but Dude, basically, yeah. I posted a quick thread that just breaks down the highlights of one of our recent uh, blog posts and it popped dude in a way that I really wasn't expecting. I was just hoping that this would get like some traction. Um, our corporate account had like 1500. Wait, did you write this? Yeah. You I wrote this, this on a, I wrote this on a, I wrote this on a whim like at 10 o'clock the other night. And I was just like, you know what? I just got to try something on this account. And so uh, this is the first thread that we've posted. Imagine and... if you did this for the podcast, you Twitter hating <laughs> faker, you Twitter faker. But for people listening, we, a small account, we had 1500 followers. Uh, and this, I think we just kind of got lucky. It's got about 500 likes so far, 145,000 um, impressions. It just popped. And in some sense, I, like, I would love to believe it's because I just did such a good job laying the tweet out. But what I really think it is, is like, it's a little bit of luck. It's a little bit of the fact that we do have Sam associated with the brand. We're still kind of riding high on, on the excitement of the launch. And so I don't want to get too tied up in this one success. Cause like, it's going to make me scared to post another one, right? Like what else? No. It's not, not really, but like, that is a thing that people deal with. Once you have one great hit, it does kind of feel like everything after that kind of has to be the same. So I'm not letting myself think about this too much. But I bring it up to say, we think through this media lens, and I think that we have the ability as a team to tell stories that like a lot of corporate teams struggle to tell because we come from that media background. So we have that advantage. Great. I know nothing about SEO, though. And you have a note here in our outline, which is like, if you really want to build 
to this point where you're consistently getting six and seven figures worth of monthly volume, you can't rely on viral social posts to do that. That's got to come from this like bedrock, bedrock foundational SEO. Um, and that's totally foreign to me. So I was going to ask you, that's a little bit about how we're thinking about it. We are basically leaning on storytelling now. We're leaning on social media now. For the probably the next two or three months, we're not even focused on SEO. We're really just trying to develop a reputation for like every time we post, it's a great story about business, right? That's, I kind of want to train people to think that first, but I know that the SEO thing is coming. So I'm really curious how you would think about this if you were in our shoes. Specifically, how do you pick those, say, 10 cornerstone search terms or pieces on your website that are like really important? Yeah. Well, my mind is racing a bit here. There's a lot I want to say. First off, Sam obviously knows what he's doing, right? So I'm by no means coming at this as though I know better than Sam. Everybody has their own style. When I look at this though, the blog post that you guys wrote, like I, I just don't get it because I, I just don't see what it serves other than to show a bunch of people that you can write really cool stories about other businesses. And like that is within itself valuable. And plenty of people have built killer businesses doing this. I, I think maybe I... It, it could be my OCD or like my temperament. You know, I don't actually have OCD, but I'm I'm kind of an obsessive person where I just hate inefficiency. And it it really keeps me up at night when I have stuff on one of my websites that goes viral and does nothing. It, it's kind of, I learned this on Sober Nation, actually. We, we always call this uh, sober celebrity stories because- if you want to generate a ton of traffic, we see this all the time with these agencies that pop up and somehow book deals with the treatment, these treatment centers. The first thing they always do is write some blog post about Eminem or Demi Lovato or something that has nothing to do with anything other than the fact that people send it to each other through text messages. Like, oh my God, can you believe Demi Lovato like did a drug, you know, something like that. So it's just not my style. Like, I just don't understand it. I like to get the most amount of money possible for the least amount of work. And that is why I like cornerstone pages, because if somebody Googles best content marketing strategy and they come to copy blogger and they read the article and they see from the very get go, like I don't need seven to 10 touches. Like somehow people made up that magical number that you have to get in front of somebody seven times. I have no idea who made that up. It's, it's obviously make believe where I'd rather just get them one touch. I'd rather them read my content and be like, oh my gosh, wow, this, this website copy blogger must be the place where I can learn how to build a content marketing strategy. And then they sign up for my email list and then the email list either sends them into my product or again, for me, the much, much more lucrative version is to turn that one piece of traffic into like a $20,000 a month deal, which is, is how I just prefer to monetize. Like I'd, I'd much rather write one article a week, get 300 or excuse me, 3 million hits a year and turn those 300 minutes, a, three, 3 million hits a year into like a couple million bucks a year and then just sit pretty and not have to 
constantly be feeding the beast. I remember me and Jack Butcher talked about this where he was talking about Twitter. And this is before I even started my Twitter account. And it's like, yeah, man, but doesn't it suck to like always have to feed the beast every morning? And he'd be like, yeah, like I have to constantly, constantly, constantly create content. And like I, the way I view it is I want my content to work for me over time. Whereas this kind of content, like you're working for it in a narrow time because the half-life of it is so short. So I don't think I answered your question in terms of the corner. <laughs> no, you just pages. insulted me for like four minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I just, I just don't get it. You know, it, it's just not my style. Um, and I well, think that's probably why I've like flown under the radar for so long. I don't know, man. So you're, you're making me think a couple of interesting things. Two in particular, one is really, this is exposing the difference between a product business that uses content to get attention for products and a content business, which I had never yeah. considered before. But the reality is there's a lot of truth to what you're saying. Like, uh, let me just point out the truth, like the things that I totally agree with first. One, there's a lot of value to building up very focused SEO um, credentials because it is something that just continues to work for you. Like that traffic comes forever. We Steph does a really Steph Smith does a really good job of talking about this, where she'll say, you know, a really great article on at the hustle, you know, back when we had like a million subscribers, a really great article could do like 50,000 clicks uh, in a morning, right? You get something that people really love, they'll click through 50,000 clicks on that piece. Now, in order to do that consistently, like you either have to write a really great article that reaches a million people a day, right, via a news, you have to have a million person newsletter, or here are some other ways that you could do that. You could hit the front page of Hacker News, right? That'll get you 50,000 clicks, but how reliable is that? Or you could write, you know, 50 articles that each get 100 clicks a day or whatever that is, maybe 1,000 clicks, 1,000 clicks a day, something like that. 500 articles that each get a hundred clicks a day. Like th that's the SEO, the benefit of the SEO is that it, it allows for you to attain traffic that is otherwise incredibly difficult to get slowly and surely. So I totally see the value of like a more well-developed SEO strategy. What you're making me realize though, is two things. There just is a distinct difference between a media business monetizing as a media business and a product business that's using media to attract attention for their products. And yeah. I had never thought about it that way before, but, but just um, you're making me think that. And for people listening, what I mean is like, as a media company, you don't mind cranking that wheel or feeding the beast, so to speak. That is kind of the focus of what you're doing. Now, I think you should be doing it in a way that like, allows you to build that baseline so you're constantly getting more attention rather than always having to just inject effort to get visibility. But there's a certain amount of it that just goes on autopilot because that is like that is what you're focused on. The other thing that you're making me think, though, and I had not thought about this until you said it, was do you remember that conversation we had about how brands um, like sell products, people get attention? You're making mm -hmm. me think that I didn't, I hadn't realized this, but we're really experimenting with the opposite of that at Hampton. 
just by posting this um, or using this strategy, we're essentially saying, or what we've said is like, this is going to be a person that you can pay attention to. Hampton is a is a yeah. is a an example of a brand trying to build that personable brand face. And honestly, the jury's still out on whether or not this is like literally we just were one week into this experiment so far. But um, maybe coming from that media background gives you a little bit of a leg up there. And if it does, then it would just be a another reason to learn this stuff, right? The attention getting storytelling, all the things that we talk about on this podcast, because they can help you kind of stand out in an arena where most don't necessarily like a lot of brands struggle to do this exact thing. Um, okay. So that's what you're making me think about. You're making me think that we are actually weirdly experimenting with the opposite of something that you and I have talked about here a lot. I didn't realize we were doing that. You're also making me think about the differences between business models. Um, and you know, I'm, I am also very sold on this concept of SEO. And so here's what I really want to make sure I get clear for myself and we get clear for the listeners. What is the process if you're bought in on this SEO thing and you're like, I'm going to use SEO to build traffic to my page for a company like ours that's starting from scratch, right? We know roughly who we're trying to reach as customers. What is the actual process you would use to work backwards from like, here? here's who I'm trying to sell to. How do I determine what those say top 10 search terms are? for that person that I'm going to build cornerstone pages for. If I ignore the blog post that I already posted, how do I pick those 10 cornerstone pages? Well, people might not like the answer and this might give you some insight to the dark side of Tim. Remember a couple episodes we (laughs) talked about the shadow, right? The, The answer really is just seek and destroy. SEO is a zero sum game. Only one person gets the top. It's not like media where my ability to create an article has nothing to do with your ability to create an article and two people can both see and enjoy our stuff equally. It's not like that. There's one winner. There's one person in second place. There's one person in third place. So you first research who you want to, whose traffic you want to take. Because it's the only traffic that you get. There's no traffic up for grabs. There's somebody's traffic that you're taking. And well, there's a couple of ways to do this, right? There there is a little bit more of an analytical keyword research way. And and that's, that's basically just spending time tinkering around, looking at keyword volume, looking at the competition of that keyword volume. You can do that on tools like Ahrefs, which is what I prefer. You can do that on SEMrush. You can even just do that on Google just by... Googling stuff and seeing what pops up and seeing how credible the websites are that are getting those couple search terms. So you can make like a basic distinction if you can beat these people or not. But really, even when you get there, ultimately what happens is you end up discovering the people or the brands or the companies whose traffic you're going to have to take. And so the 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 long term play is this you work backwards where you don't necessarily think of the keyword you think of the intent and then with that intent you 
develop what the keyword is. And then you put those 10 keywords together in a spreadsheet. And then you list who the people that win those keywords are. <clears throat> At that point, you go see the pages that they have that are currently winning for those keywords and you dissect what it is that they're doing. So how long is their content? How many times did they mention the keyword? How many links are pointing to that page? How many links are pointing to the URL in total? You basically assume that you're not gonna win those cornerstone keywords right away because they're cornerstone for a reason, they're, they're, they're hard. But you structure your website in a way where those pages are front and center basically everywhere you go. So some people put their cornerstone pages in the sidebar of their blog. So like no matter what blog you're looking at, you always have access to those links. Some people like myself like to put those pages in the navigation bar so that they follow you everywhere. Once you've laid out those pages, I view blog posts twofold. They're a way to generate traffic, but they're also a way to strengthen your cornerstone pages. Like your blog posts are basically a feeding machine to your cornerstone pages. And once you've, once you've like figured out who you have to kill, you just like relentlessly dedicate all of your time to seeing who they got backlinks from, reaching out to those people and trying to take those backlinks from them and get your website in place there, reaching out to some of the podcasts they've been on and trying to get booked as a guest on that podcast so that you can basically nullify the links that they have. Um, and it's, it's, is ruthless, man. It is really, really ruthless, but you, you have to bake that into your head that there's no such thing as free traffic. There's only traffic that you take. And it's, it's hard, but like super valuable and fun I, and awesome. <laughs> I love that, dude. It sounds like, and by the way, this sounds like something that I can't speak for Sam, but it does sound like something he would gravitate to immediately. You know, there's nothing he likes more than like a good fight. vibe from Sam. Yeah, I get that vibe. Yeah, I, um, I can also see, I can see what you're talking about. Like I can see you're itching to get, to get into this yourself. So yeah, there's like three or four different websites that copy blogger is so much stronger than them. And it, it just, it bothers me that I'm losing to these websites that are about half as, I don't want to say good because they're, they're, they're ranking above me for a reason. Like their content is great. Their brand is a little bit more polished. Like they are just as good. But in terms of the, the weight that I have to throw around from an SEO standpoint, you know, it's, it's night and day. It, does, it doesn't make any sense from a technical standpoint that these like three or four companies are beating me. And I just, I'm just that kind of person, you know, like it really, <laughs> really bothers me a lot. And so I'm looking forward to it. Can we, I want to take a second to zero in on something you said too, which I think is such a helpful framework. There's no such thing as free traffic. Like I'll paraphrase. You said basically all the traffic you're going to get, you're taking from somebody else. And I think that's such an interesting way to think about this. I heard somebody say it similarly a couple of years ago. I went through Reforge's growth training. Are you familiar with them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Awesome program. I'm not even a growth guy. and. Uh, I still don't necessarily feel like a growth guy, but the training was fantastic. I think they, they do a better job at course design than like pretty much anybody I've ever seen. They design um, their courses phenomenally. You've, sure. Have you gone through them or you just, you've seen them? Oh, yeah. I just appreciate them. Yeah. yeah. I just appreciate Great. them. 
great team over there. But that was one of the very first things they say in the growth course as well. It's like if you're starting from that zero point, all the traffic that you want to attract to your site, it exists on somebody else's site. And like that is actually the that is the core of growth is that you are basically figuring out how to go out to these other places where the traffic already is and peel it off to your website. And like, if you think about what social media marketing is that, I mean, that's exactly it. Traffic's already out on Twitter. I'm just trying to go over there and get some of it to my site or Google SEO ads. It's all the same thing. Um, And I had never heard somebody put it that way, but for me, as somebody who doesn't come from a growth background, it really simplified the idea of getting those first visitors. Cause it's not like, it's not like I have to figure out how to do that now. I just think where, like, where is everybody? Where are they? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I hate to cut you off. It's, it's kind of difficult to explain this though, because it is a flipping that switches in. It is a switch that flips in your head. It's not like you have to find people who you want to make interested in your company. The people are already interested. You just need to make them turn their heads from that direction to this direction. That was really well put. That was actually really well put. That captures the the essence of like the hang up, right? Yeah. How do I find people? Yeah. Or make people interested. Um, okay, so that for me brings me back to this concept that you mentioned earlier, which is pruning. So you already know what your main targets are. You know who's in the crosshairs. You also said though that there were some things that you wanted to remove from your list of keywords that you rank for. How did you think about that? How'd you come to that realization? Well, your website has finite resources. And I mean that quite literally. Like you have to understand, it takes Google resources to crawl your website. It costs them electricity. It costs them server space. It it costs them bandwidth. And so you want to make Google's job as easy as possible. And if they're if they're crawling through all of these links to index your pages and you're not getting anything out of it, then th- then there's no point. So specifically, the way you do it is you go to Ahrefs, you type in the domain, there's a link that says top pages. The, the top pages are going to link. I don't know if chronological is the, is the right word, but like the, the page that gets the most traffic is at the top and then subsequently in that order. And then you, you, you basically double click that little link so that the arrow flips, you know, and then it mm-hmm. reverses it so that the pages that get zero traffic are at the top. Um, as you do that, you'll see the URL. And there's again, like another tiny little arrow, like a little downward triangle. When you click on that little triangle, it'll tell you a lot of the information about that page. And then you use that information to basically um, make the next decision. Because sometimes even though a traffic doesn't have, even though a page doesn't have any traffic, it doesn't mean that it can't get traffic. So it's not like you're just deleting everything. You know, you're making the next right decision on the information that you have. And that really is like the skill and the art of SEO. Because it's you only figure that stuff out by doing it enough times to know what's realistic, what's possible, what what is like worth spending time on. Where if I spent time in this other direction, the reward would be maybe greater or less than. So so that's that's like 
that really is the skill of SEO. Learning how to do SEO is, is actually pretty easy. Learning how to make the right decisions is like really, really hard. But that's, that's the same with everything, right? That's interesting. Okay. So if that's the case, you've talked, and I think we're coming up on time here, so this might be an interesting place to kind of wrap it. But you've talked about your SEO strategy. Are there any other approaches that you're taking to get to this 3 million visits a year? Or do um, you think based on your current setup, it'll just happen naturally? Like you don't have to. I'm really underselling myself a little bit because like you have to, the part that we didn't talk about, and it's a shame that we're leaving this to the last question. The, the part that we didn't focus on more is models, right? Like what is my traffic even for? And I'm a B2B guy. I've always thrived in B2B. I like enterprise. I like working with other CEOs. I like working with people that know what their marketing budgets are and can just make the decision. And so if, if I really like dove into it and hired some writers and hired some SEOs, I think I could probably get more than that. The, the thing that I'm not doing is pumping out content. Like I'm, I'm, I'm creating content pretty slow and I suppose there's a real missed opportunity there, but the, the thing that is keeping the brakes pumped on me a little bit is that I, I won't be able to close these deals and onboard these clients at the rate that I'd be able to generate the traffic. And so I suppose that is where I am lacking in the stuff that you guys are excelling at, you know, because you'll be able to flip that traffic into a media company like so easily. You already know how to do it. I, I, I wouldn't know how to do that. And honestly, like, I don't, there's nothing about that that sounds inviting to me. I don't want to have a whole nother team of 10 people who are constantly looking at stories and interviewing people and trying to get quotes. It's just, it's not what I like to do. And so that is, th those are the breaks that are being pumped. Like I, I'm totally cool with closing a $20,000 a month deal once a month and like just, just chilling, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, but it's not to say that I, I wouldn't want to have that other side. Like that sounds really intriguing. And obviously it's a killer business. I'm just too old to start all over. You know, like, I don't, I don't want to learn to, to, I don't want to do the 10 years to learn and fail about that whole other side of things where I'm, I kind of found my lane and I'm sticking with it. Dude, that's such an important topic for entrepreneurs to talk about, because in a lot of ways, like there's nothing, there's nothing super controversial about what you're saying. What you're saying is I've built my career building agencies and I make a lot of money doing that. So I think I'm just going to keep doing that. Thank you very much. Sure. And in a lot of ways for us to spin up a media brand. And again, we haven't really committed to that, but that is almost our version of that because so many of us come from that background. It's like, we're kind of learning how to do the community thing. Yeah, But I mean, I haven't talked about this, but like there's already demand to sell ads. I could, I mean, I could, we could basically flip a switch and it would be a six figure ad business out of the gate without really any salespeople. Um, and it's tempting, man. It's so tempting to just go back to what you know. Uh, we're pumping the brakes in our own way, though, just being like, um, you know, what is the most important thing for us to get right right now? 
So for us, it's the community side. We really want to make that community feel like great and valuable and have the right people in there. And so there's a lot of potential on all this media stuff. And I think in a lot of ways, we're kind of building it in case we ever want to flip that switch. But um, it's not it's not like a huge priority at this point, which is a little weird. But the other thing that's so important about what you're saying is like, um, you don't need to build a business that's bigger than what you need or 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 want. And I think it's so common to fall into this trap of thinking that you want to build a huge business when really what you want is like free time to spend with your family. I was having this conversation with a, a founder a couple of days ago. And basically, you know, he'd been doing the high growth startup thing for a long time and had sort of defaulted to thinking like, I want to start a billion dollar company for years that just had become the way he thought about things. And then through a series of events came to realize like, that's actually not a priority at all. The things that I want in my life, I could have with like a pretty good tech job. You know, I, I had shot for this specific type of business because I just thought that that, that was like, I thought that was the goal. Yeah. Nobody talks about that, man. Nobody talks about the fact that like we try to convince young founders that you have to build some crazy, huge, successful business in order to be respected. And really when you get to, I mean, I'm 32, what are you in your, your 55, 56, 56 at this point, 36, bro. <laughs> um i it does feel like once you get out of your 20s a little bit uh a lot of the urgency for that falls away and you start to think more about like what do i actually want to spend my time doing and i the, the bar for starting new things just gets higher and for good reason like i'm i enjoy i like i i i enjoy what i do now more than I would enjoy learning like something completely new, you know? Yeah. Even I do if- too. I love it. I'm like, I legitimately feel like the luckiest person every day because yeah. I, I don't work, you know, like I, I, I don't work. I just do stuff that I find is really, really fun. And so it doesn't make sense. You know, people say, but don't you want to make more money? And maybe, um, I already kind of don't know what to do with the amount yeah. that I make already. And plus what, what is that going to actually add value for my life where I'm just going to end up having to do stuff that I don't like. And what's the point of making money to do the stuff that you want to do. Right. So, you know, I don't, it doesn't need to be a whole, uh, coaching session about your priorities and how, how to live your life. Right. That, there's two elements to it, which I think are a little practical. Once you start making money, you realize that it's infinitely easier to make more money with your money as opposed to working. And so agencies are cash cows for me. And there's plenty of other stuff that I'm involved in that I don't actually have to work on. And that's, I like that. I think it's fun. Um, And that's what I plan to do. But also, yeah, like you, you find your lane and there's there's no reason for me to do anything else. I love what I do. And so why would I stop doing what I want to do to do something that I don't want to do? <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's stupid. 
Well, let me tell you something though, that that's like, there's a lot of wisdom in what you just said, because it's so tempting. There's an entire culture built around more and bigger and better. And the reality is, I think if you go through that a couple of times, you come to find what you just said, which is like, you actually give up a lot in order to do the more bigger, better. I think there are some people who genuinely love that like and and they end up being the zuckerbergs of the world like they just genuinely that is what they love they they want to change the world they want they want to be at the the bleeding edge of technology something like that um but then there's a whole other group of people who i think get very comfortable with business as a domain of expertise and instead of continuing to push into other areas of their life and like master those, they keep doubling down on the business thing. And as I've gotten a little bit older, that's become a bit of a red flag for me in terms of who I spend time around. Like I, and I haven't really figured out quite how to encapsulate this yet because on the one hand, there is no point at which I think you should ever stop growing as a person, even in your career. Like I I don't think there's a point at which you'll ever have enough money if you feel like you do, somehow there's something wrong there, right? Like you've stopped thriving, you've stopped growing, but then there's this counterbalance to it, which is like unchecked ambition is its own problem. Yeah. And so I feel like when you're super young, you the ambition thing is great and you should be trying as much as you possibly can and trying to open as many doors as possible. There is a point though where there's like this maturing that sets in. And like you said, you find your lane, you start to get really good at something. And if you're lucky or if you're paying attention, you'll also develop these ideas around like what is actually meaningful and pursue that. And then, you know, the funny thing is like, I'm, you know, we're both in our thirties. I'm sure 20 years from now, we'll be looking back at this and be like, what morons? What was I thinking? (laughs) Yeah. 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 So, you know, whatever I'll say it now and then come back to this in 20 years. Um, this was fascinating though, man. I'm, I have Great. one more question for you. Can I ask you one more question Let's to close go. this out? Yeah, sure. Let's go. Okay. So given what our goals are on the Hampton side, aside from SEO, or let me ask it this way. What is the single most important thing you would have me focus on in order to achieve this thing? If you were just looking at this as an outsider and you're like, you know what, this is where you need to spend your time. What do you think it would be? Not the internet. Like, wait, no, maybe I was unclear. I mean, like, given that our goal is to hit 1 million visits to the blog per month. Yeah. Um, It would be shotgun method. It would be everywhere all at once. Reddit, probably especially. Reddit just has that thing where when people find cool stuff, they love sharing it with each other. Like sharing is encouraged on Reddit. Twitter, not so much. LinkedIn, probably. But the traffic that you'll get from LinkedIn is just numbers. You know, nobody's really going to take advantage of your guys' offer. Whereas with Reddit, they will. Because there's so many sleepers on Reddit. You know, like you just never know who you're talking to on Reddit. And I think that's one of the really exciting things about it. So, yeah, if, if I had to iron it down, 
like if I had to give it to you in a sentence, it would be put as much stuff in as many places as you possibly can until you can't possibly think of finding another place and do a lot of stuff on Reddit. <laughs> totally. <laughs> cool. Yeah, well, that's actually a great place to end it and a great way to set up next week because I'm thinking a lot about this and I've taken a ton of inspiration from Justin Welsh. I want to break this down next week. What I want to do is get into the system that we're going to use in order to distribute this content because we don't Ooh. actually have the muscle. He's good at that. I think it's a superpower, but yeah. we don't actually have the muscle yet to be writing a ton of content. We don't have a content team. I'm basically, it's me and Sam and we get some help, but we need to make up for that in other ways. And so we'll get into next week, how we're going to do that. And then I want to, yeah, we'll, we'll go deeper on some other case studies. Love it. Love it, man. It's one of my favorite episodes. I love talking about this stuff. I really do. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We appreciate you. Don't forget, check out copybloggerpod.com. We are back to the show notes. So everything that we talked about, you can find on the show notes at copybloggerpod.com. Um, you got anything else you want to say? Nope. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you. We'll talk to you next week. See ya.